From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Wednesday, September 30th, 2020, with Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax, and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. I am woman, hear me roar, in numbers too big to ignore. To go back and pretend Cause I've heard it all before And I've been down there on the floor Good afternoon, KZYX listeners. This is Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax for the local coronavirus update. Welcome back, Drew. Thank you. Enjoyed our honorary theme song for the day. That wasn't our theme song. Oh, it's the day's theme song. Helen Reddy. Yes. I am woman. Hear me roar. Yes, yes. (laughs) May she rest in peace. Thank you so much for that song. And this is a show about the local coronavirus response, so I will hand it over to you. Well, I don't know. We can talk about the debate. Let's hear you roar. Oh, <laughs> the debate. What debate? What are you talking about? I thought Trump's makeup was really good, actually. You know, worth the $70,000. At least, yeah. All right. Coronavirus. Locally, we've added 20 cases in the last two days. So our local case count now is up to 954 uh, which is, you know, 10 a day. That's a little bit higher than we would like to see, certainly. 26,626 tests, 1,031 are pending. Uh, the hospital utilization rate is still holding fairly low and manageable. We have seven people hospitalized currently, three in the ICUs in the county. I think it's actually been the same three for quite some time now, which is kind of what we expect with this illness. People, once they get really, really sick, they stay really, really sick for a really, really long time. Um, And so I I believe, although I'm not 100% sure, uh, that those three are the same three unfortunate individuals in ICUs. And they're not in the county at this point, right? They're they're out of county. No, they're in county. Oh, really? Yeah. Once... Once somebody's transferred out of county, then they're no longer counted as utilizing our hospital beds. Um, And so the cases are counted by place of residence. So if you happen to be tested in Mendocino County but live in Sonoma, it counts as a Sonoma case, for better or for worse, but just for sort of a bright line rule. Okay. Uh, 3.4% positivity on our tests. Um, Our testing numbers are still adequate. We're running about 150 a day, which is just adequate. There's not a large degree of cushion there. Uh, With 11.6 cases per 100,000, which is down a little bit, um, at least from the numbers I recited on Monday, I've also been using a few other websites, and on Monday I pulled the data off of the New York Times website, which actually had the case count up to 13 on Monday, and I think it was 14 a few days before that. I actually manually calculated it, and those numbers seem a little high to me per 100,000, 
which seems odd because all these all these COVID dashboards, if you will, are really just pulling data off of what's reported to the state um, from counties and municipalities and um, from state data banks. So I'm not sure why there's that little bit of discrepancy. But at any rate, um, currently, both the New York Times and several other dashboards all put Mendocino County at 11.6 cases per 100,000, which is still too high, um, higher than we need to be to move to a better um, tier, Um, certainly higher than we need to be to be able to safely open anything up. Sonoma County is doing about the same as we are right now, adjusted per capita. California is still adding um, around 20,000 cases a day. We're over 800,000 cases. Um, It's been coming down um, gradually, slowly. and the U.S. Um, case count is 40,000 cases a day, 206,000 dead. Um, so it's a, it's a moving number, and unfortunately it just keeps moving up and up and up and up. Um, I'm sorry, did I say 20,000 for California? I think I meant 2,000. I, I know I, I meant 2,000. Yeah, yeah, so. I, I, I was about to fall out of <laughs> yeah. my chair. No, no. <laughs> I think it's coming no, no, down. No, it's something I, no, it's, it's slightly high. over 2,000, but it varies a bit. But the running average is around 2,000, 2,200 new, um, cases, per, new cases per day in California. Um, the national trend is still one of positivity, unfortunately. It's up 13% over the last two weeks uh, nationally. And if you look at the heat map, the COVID heat map, if you will, um, it's really in the south, actually. Third, uh, eight of the 10 states with the highest per capita COVID cases, um, not necessarily in the last couple of weeks, but just over the last you know six months, are um, in the south. Now, 8 out of 10 are all southern states, with the exceptions being um, Arizona and Iowa. Um, But per capita, the rest are southern states. And they're all hot states as well, um, stretching straight up through into North Dakota. Um, That's where we're still seeing really high case counts. So, and, you know, things like cruise ships sailing come November 1st out of Florida. Ports is going to continue to add to this. Oh, what's this? Where did you hear this? Uh, the administration reversed the CDC's um, no sale hold, um, which was set to expire at the end of October. Um, and so they are now permitted to sail, whether they will sail or not, or whether anybody will get on a cruise ship. Um, I don't know. And if you remember, way back in March, that's how COVID first came to our county. Um, so right. cruise ships, you know, even in the best of times, are not exactly um, sterile environments. In other sort of not-so-local news, there's a huge study that came out in Science um, out of India, studied a huge number of people, I think it was about 85,000 people, um, and really the pertinent um, extractable uh, information that came out of that that's relevant to us here is that children spread the virus. Um, and so there was, there was this narrative back over the course of midsummer, that children don't get it, and if they do, they don't really spread it. And I think that's safely... Um, demolished at this point. I, I just don't think there are going to be a lot of people saying, oh, kids don't get it and then go to school because they don't really spread it. They get it. Um, they spread it. Um, maybe not quite at the same rate. They certainly don't tend to get quite as sick. Um, but that's, you know, that that is quite clear at this point. How, what If you were going to describe how uh, the spread of the disease from children versus adults, is there any kind of describable difference in the way that it spreads in those two age groups? 
I don't, I don't think we know um, enough yet uh, to really be able to draw any distinctions. Um, I think there is, well, I know there is a fair amount of data showing that a, there's a higher percentage of children who simply remain asymptomatic. Um, and it's a little bit more difficult in children because kids get sick all the time. I mean, if you're a kid, you can expect to have eight febrile illnesses in a year if you go to daycare or school. And so, you know, any one of those could be a mild case of COVID. And unless you have widespread testing, which we don't have, it's going to be very hard to determine whether that's just a cold or whether it's COVID. Um, but how it's transmitted is still the same old way. It's aerosols and droplets and maybe some surfaces. You know, if you ever walked into a daycare center, they're basically just giant enclosed Petri dishes. Um, so, you know, it's it's not exactly um, an easily contained or walled off illness in those type of settings. You know, I heard at some point one of these months that uh, because of the way that the, do- the droplets leave our bodies, that kids being shorter that the spew coming out of kids maybe doesn't reach up to adults? I I wouldn't put a lot of credence okay. on that. I like that. Maybe there's a phenomenon of, you know, COVID knees or COVID crotch, <laughs> if that's where the kid is coughing. But uh, I just don't. I don't see that as being a limiting factor in its rate of transmission. Ta- that would mean taller people don't get the disease at yeah, the that, same rate. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't else. think we're seeing a lot of that. Okay. Yeah. All right. But good, it was, it good, was an elegant in, theory. Interesting, interesting hypothesis. I wouldn't even <laughs> elevate that to a theory. Okay. Yeah. Um, vaccines, nothing really new. Um, interesting to watch Trump last night both attack Big Pharma and then praise Big Pharma in about oh, four paragraphs difference. So, uh, you know, not exactly building national confidence in what all these um, Big Pharmas are working on. Um, but, you know, whether um, Pfizer, I guess, is now leading the charge to try to get the big announcement out by the end of October, whether they get there or not, um, we shall see. What about his claim that if Joe Biden had been president, two million people would be dead. I, I, I have nothing to say to that. Okay. Yeah, I, I just silence. I truly, <laughs> I truly have nothing to say to that. Um, I mean, I, I think that if we had a competent administration that actually adhered to science, then we would have had a competent response from the get-go, and we haven't, and we frankly still don't. Um, even even last night, he was still not giving a coherent message on masking. He was mocking Biden for wearing a mask. I mean, it's just it's truly insane. And comparing mask size. Yeah. I, well. He likes to compare the size of things. Yes. Really? Yes. Anyway, we're getting way off the local update. Sorry. No, it's fine. I I I enjoy it. We're all thinking it. I know. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe just those of us who could stand watching the debate last night. (laughs) It was it was hard to take. I haven't had ninety minutes of unfettered Trump exposure for a while and boy I, I learned why. At any rate, um, that's all I have uh, for local coronavirus news. All right, pretty good. That was pretty yep. good. Pretty good roundup there. Um, we are going to open up the phone lines then and see what other people have on their minds. Yeah, and I think the testing that we've announced um, previously remains unchanged. I don't think there are any changes in any nope. announced testing schedules. Um, I think when we talked about this on Monday, we neglected to yet again mention OptumServe at the Ukiah Fairgrounds. They are open for business. I think they've slightly changed their hours, um, and they are taking people without appointments, though I would recommend trying to get an appointment just to be a little bit more streamlined. Yeah, it says they have new hours. Uh, OptumServe testing site in Ukiah at the fairgrounds, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Sunday through Thursday. 
So that is a little bit of a change. So now they're not going to be open on Fridays and Saturdays anymore. Yeah, and they, you know, in the beginning, they really were being very rigorous about not testing sort of mildly symptomatic people. And I've heard that they're not really enforcing that quite so rigorously any longer, which is good because we need, you know, fast, efficient, and free testing. And there's really not a lot of options for that outside of this OptumServe site. Yeah, no, it's great. I've yeah. made good use of it, and I have been getting my test results back in two or three days. Rather than... 12 to 14. It was, a, it was very long at yes. the beginning, oh, it but was. now it, it's just consistently quick and easy, and the people in there are great. I really, yeah. Good. In terms of COVID testing, I highly recommend it. <laughs> it's good. But there's also um, Mendocino Coast Clinics. They're doing weekly testing through the end of the year, uh, and but you do have to have an appointment for that, and their number is 964-1251. Long Valley Health Center has a testing event happening this Friday uh, from 8 to 11 in Laytonville. Uh, that's also free COVID screening in the Long Valley Health Center parking lot, which is on Branscombe Road, 50 Branscombe Road in Laytonville. You can call 984-6131 for information about that. And then, of course, Thursday mornings at Anderson Valley Health Center, they're doing... Um, 9 to 10.30, 9 to 11-ish at Anderson Valley High School parking lot. No appointment there. No appointment. Just and there, get there And early, there is right? sporadic testing on the South Coast, and we'll try to keep people apprised as we learn about one of those pop-up testing centers, if you will. Definitely. Speaking of popping things up, I actually did something I haven't done since February. I went out to eat in this county. I am shocked. I know, right? How I actually you? put my money where my mouth is, and I ate outside uh, wearing a mask um, at a local restaurant. It was quite lovely. How did you eat wearing a mask? Well, I took the mask down to eat, but whenever the server approached, I would mask back up. Did you also wear a face shield? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) And it was great. It was really nice to do that, yeah. So, you know, I'm not sure I would recommend that if you're in a high-risk category, but if you're sort of in a slightly lower-risk category, such as myself, then go for it. All right, well, the phone lines are lighting up. People are ready. Uh, Let me give you the phone number in case you don't have it memorized. It's 707 eight nine five two four four eight that's eight nine five two four four eight here in the philo studio and let's take our first call good afternoon caller you're live on the air hi uh something that concerned me in the last couple of days is i saw a group of uh kids on bicycles and i didn't see a mask um then uh I saw another group of kids without a mask. My thought is that they're having to wear these masks at school for long periods of time. So when they get out, they're, they want relief. And, and that, I think that's why they're not wearing them, because they feel like, okay, I put in my time, now I get to be free. But that's not how it works. Uh, somebody needs to tell them that that's not how it works. Yeah, I, I, I hear your concern, um, but I also empathize with kids who are indoors wearing a mask for six or seven or eight hours at a time. Um, and we certainly know that being outside um, mitigates the risk of transmission considerably. Um, so if these kids are in a group, um, then they should be masked. If you're seeing isolated kids riding bicycles down the street of Ukiah without a mask, I don't really see that as a major concern um, for me personally. Um, and I, I frankly 
simply don't think that public health would see that as a significant source of risk to the population. It's really when we stop, congregate, and go inside that this thing has the opportunity to spread. Um, but, you know, kids leaving school together in a group chatting and talking and laughing and carrying on, yeah, they should be all masked up if they're going to walk together down the sidewalk. And one last thing uh, that I didn't mention last time, I wash my mask, my surgical mask, because I work outdoors sometimes, and they get really dirty. And so they get sweaty and they get dirt on them. So that's why I wash them. If I wore them inside while I was uh, typing or doing something uh, clerical, let's say, uh, then I, I can see taking it off and setting it aside and letting, you know, the, the virus drop to the ground or whatever it is that it does. Uh, but uh, some of us have to wash them. I, I hear you. I just surgical masks now are, are are relatively abundant. I mean, you can buy them in most hardware stores and pharmacies in you know 100 packs. And I'm concerned that if you actually are washing these, that you're going to diminish their effectiveness. Um, and so I would I would hesitate to recommend sort of washing the. Um, commercial disposable, primarily paper, um, tri-layer surgical masks that I'm wearing right now that I you know, walk out of the hospital with each time I'm working a shift. So I would have a little bit of concern around that. The other masks, sort of the homemade cloth masks, you know, they don't work quite as well anyway. And so washing them is not going to, um, you know, I don't think it's going to materially change their percentage of effectiveness. Um, but I hear you. I mean, I have seen people wearing some phenomenally dirty masks that I think they've been wearing ever since the start of the pandemic and maybe from, you know, dating to some of the fires of 2017. That's an image. <laughs> Caller, are hey, you this still is, there? This is Mendocino County, after all. All right, Caller, are you on the line? I think she took her answer off the air. Oh, sorry about that. Hey, Caller, you are live on the air. Hi. Um, I have a question about masks and restaurants. So um, I've eaten out a few times. Uh, sitting outdoors, and the wait people are always in masks. But I've also passed by some places where I've noticed that the people in the kitchen are not wearing masks. Yeah, that's not good. And that's pretty troubling. Yep, that's that, pretty troubling. I, I would be troubled by that as well. Um, you know, people preparing the food need to be masked up. Um, and any commercial place of business, people are supposed to be masked up all the time anyway, restaurant or not. Um, and so I... I, I would simply say something to that management. I would certainly avoid that restaurant. Um, and if you're highly motivated, you could call public health and let them know as well. But people preparing food in restaurants that are serving food outside to mask customers need to be masked, period. Okay. Um, thank you for voicing that for me. Yeah. <laughs> right, Your concerns for are validated. Yes, yes you <laughs> okay, are right. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. That's weird because it would seem like their safety would be at risk working in a small space in the kitchen without masks on well if there's you know if there's more than one certainly they're potentially exposing one another unless yeah. they're in the same do we still use the phrase bubble i don't think we do anymore i don't but, think so yeah. stable groups. stable group oh. yeah all right let's take our next call good afternoon caller you're live on the air hi hi i listen to you faithfully um my husband has multiple sclerosis, and I was really hoping and wondering if you had any information on how this specifically 
affects people with that? Or are there cases that people have come down with with multiple sclerosis? And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you very much. Sure. So, I mean, it, it's hard to speak specifically about uh, MS in a way that's probably going to be helpful. I mean, it has so many um, manifestations um, and is so variable in the amount of debility that an individual with MS may have um, that it's hard for me to generalize. I haven't seen any data um, pointing toward people with MS being at increased risk, um, at least not in terms of MS in isolation. Um, now, obviously, when people have multiple sclerosis, that can lead to other health problems, and those other health problems have been fairly well described um, as risk factors, and I'm not sure I need to run through all the diseases that are well described as risk factors for COVID, um, but MS in of itself is not um, one that I have seen any data on suggesting increased risk of either getting it or getting much more sick once one does have COVID. All right. This is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and the call-in number is 707-895-2448, and let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You are now live on the air. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. My question has to do with the firefighters that are here in the area. If uh, hypothetically or whatever, I'm a firefighter and I'm working in the area and I start to feel sick, I go to my field office and and they send me to see uh, the doc. Um, Do I get tested right away then? Um, and am, and am I considered a, a COVID case in this county at that time, or um, do you have any information on what might happen if, um, God bless our guests here, our firefighters who are helping us out? But um, uh, what happens in that case? Are we is that part of our COVID deal, or is that a separate deal? Sure. Yeah, so I actually have tested more than a few CAL FIRE firefighters um, in the ER. They are sent to the ER by their um, section health chief um, for testing for, you know, symptoms of some sort. Um, They get tested on our um, faster machine, so that machine spits out the result in a matter of hours rather than a few days, Um, and they are advised to isolate um, until those test results come back. And so, you know, if they're living in a hotel somewhere, they're their entire hotel room or that group would isolate pending test results. Um, And so that's kind of what their protocol is. And then those numbers, if they were positive, and I don't have any knowledge that any of these tests that we've run and CAL FIRE firefighters in this county have been positive, but those numbers would actually be reported to the counties where those individuals live um, rather than this county. Um, And so it can be a little bit confusing. We literally could have hundreds of CAL FIRE firefighters in our county with COVID, and those tests would all be showing up somewhere else. I don't think that's the case. Um, They are being very conscientious about um, getting people to the ERs to get tested if there's any cause for concern whatsoever. I wonder, is there anybody who's kind of keeping tabs on that? 
through the fire chain of command. I, I, I'm sure CAL FIRE is keeping tabs on it. I haven't seen a news item on this, so I don't think there's been a large degree of outbreaks amongst huh. firefighters. And, you know, I've seen them out and about, you know, quite a bit, and they are very good about wearing masks. Um, you know, they go into Safeway or whatnot for supplies, and they they are being very conscientious um, about um, protecting themselves while they are protecting us. That's very good of them. Yes. I'm very yes. encouraged to see them. All right, let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Hi, my name is Rose. I'm calling from Willis. Um, I've been a, well, I'm a retired nurse now, but I remember way back in the day uh, in Kansas City, it was about 81, we saw what turned out to be our first HIV-AIDS patient. And, of course, we were clueless and terrified. Uh, many months passed before it was identified. My question to you is, after going on nearly four decades with that HIV thing, there's been, you know, no vaccine available. What makes the COVID um, bug different? Is there something structural or, you know, that we're going to have this miracle here in the next few months? And as always, thank you guys for your uh, being there. Yeah, so that that's a really good question. Um, and let me just take your last last couple words of your question first. Um, the vaccine is not going to be a miracle. Um, it, it is really going to just be one step in trying to control this pandemic. And once somebody gets vaccinated, that's not going to necessarily give them any sort of immunity that's going to allow them to behave in a way other than that's that we're currently advising. What it will achieve if there is a safe and effective and widely distributed vaccine is it's going to achieve this herd immunity that will allow us to gradually um, stop pouring fuel on this fire that is uh, COVID-19. But that's going to be a gradual process. It's not going to happen all at once. Obviously, we're not all going to get vaccinated all at once, and it's going to be this ongoing process um, that's going to take months to months to months, um, which is why Fauci's saying it's not going to be approaching normalcy until the end of 2021, uh, which is, you know, on further reflection, a a fair estimate. Um, Now, the first part of your question, why why are we going to get a COVID vaccine and we don't have an HIV vaccine? Um, the HIV va- virus is remarkable in that it's able to rearrange its outer um, protein shell, if you will, that um, prevents um, the immune system, either induced or innate, from latching on and attacking it. And so it really is able to develop, um, evade any um, induced um, Um, immune response um, that a vaccine would provide, which is why still to this day we don't have an HIV vaccine. There's been a lot of effort to try to develop one, but it just is too slippery, if you will. It is able to just change its configuration in a way that a vaccine, which is designed to latch onto the shape or the proteins on the outer shell of a virus generally, um, just can't, can't do. Whereas the COVID virus is incredibly stable, um, it just isn't changing its appearance, at least its presented appearance, in a significant way. Um, and so it's able, uh, so pharmaceutical companies are able to develop, you know, one of many different types of vaccines that are able to induce an immune, an immune response that can latch on to that very stable outward appearance. Now. 
there is some talk about how this virus is mutating and all viruses mutate. That That is true. They grow so fast and they replicate so fast. They can go through, you know, a thousand generations in a few days, whereas a thousand generations for human would take you know, several millennia. Um, and so they're able to evolve very quickly. What we know so far from the coronavirus is it's, yes, it's mutating. It's mutating at a lower rate than most viruses. And the mutations don't have any biologic meaning. They're not translating to any different function or any different immune targeting, which is very good for us. All right. That was really interesting. (laughs) Thank you for explaining that. I'm sure that a lot of people wonder about that. Let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, There seems to be such a great big difference between getting a test over uh, where you got your test, Alicia, where you said it was going to be really, really fast, versus over here uh, in Guala, they gave testing in Point Arena and Guala last weekend because of a local outbreak. And I had a test on Sunday, and I have a paper given to me by Redwood Coast Medical Service that says you can assume by Monday, if you do not receive a call by October 5th, that's a week. Okay, I had the test on Sunday the 27th, and this paper says they sent the test on Monday the 28th to UCSF lab, where I'm assuming they would start testing the test yesterday and today, but it says you should assume by Monday, next Monday, that's a whole week, so I, since I have to go to L.A. to say goodbye to my 104-year-old mom, I thought I'm going to isolate in place, not go anywhere till next Monday, but I'm running out of food, and I want to check my mail. So my, that's my first question. Why does it take so long, and should I say my second question right now? Sure, go for it. Okay, what would you, in your esteemed opinion, consider the safest way for a vulnerable senior to go to Los Angeles? Should I fly? Should I drive? All of it seems really scary to me. Well, if you're capable of driving, um, I would certainly recommend driving over flying. I, it's just much safer. You're controlling your own atmosphere, if you will. The only risks, of course, are getting fuel, using bathrooms, and um, getting human fuel or getting food. Um, and so if you're able to bring your own food, which I would highly recommend, um, and with a bottle of hand sanitizer um, set at the center council, so anytime you get back in the car, you immediately sterilize your hands before touching anything, that's going to go a very long way to keeping you safe. And that's that's what I would highly recommend over any other travel options. Um, as for your first question as to why UCSF is taking so long, I actually don't think they're taking that long any longer. The test results generally are coming back in two to three days from UCSF. I think County Health is giving them a giving themselves a buffer um, to sort of cover for any sort of lab snafus which have occurred, and there have been um, fairly lengthy delays at times. But in general, um, by the end of this week, I think if you haven't heard from public health, um, it's it's highly likely that those tests are not going to come back positive by the following Monday. But that's why they're giving you that long lead time, just to, just to make certain that they're not um, raising false expectations. All right. Thanks for that. And we are at the end of our half hour for the day. It goes fast. Sometimes it does. Yeah, yeah. today it did. Yeah. Um, and this is the local coronavirus update. We'll be back with you on Monday. You're here with us on Monday? I am. Not 
working at the ER? Not on Monday. Okay. No. So we'll have you live in the studio um, and f- taking more of your phone calls. On Friday, of course, we'll be, uh, at this time, we'll be talking with Dr. Andy Corrin, our public health officer, and getting the latest from the county's response, getting the official word. Um, and so that, that'll be good. It'll also be open for your phone calls. Tonight at 6.30, we have a little bit more local election coverage for you. We'll be having a live debate between the candidates for second district supervisor seat. Uh, the candidates will be replacing, one of whom will be replacing Supervisor John McGowan representing the Ukiah Valley. And that begins at 6.30 and goes until 8 o'clock. And there will be a chance for callers to call in and ask questions of the candidates themselves as part of the debate format. So check that out if you're in the second district and you're interested in local electoral politics and find out more about those candidates. So we're going to head out of here now and let you you, uh, we're going to make way for TUC Radio in progress with Vandana Shiva, part one of two, a two-part series with Vandana Shiva for TUC Radio. And thanks a lot, Drew. Sure. Thank you. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.